Hello and welcome to Plan Ed, where we take you inside education systems to learn about the policies and planning processes involved in creating a more equitable and sustainable future in and through education. I'm Stephanie Bengtsson. And I'm Anna Seger, and we are program specialists at the UNESCO International Institute for Educational Planning, working specifically on crisis-sensitive planning. COVID-19, now in its third year, continues to disrupt education. At the peak of the crisis, school closures affected 1.6 billion students worldwide. Today, children's safety and well-being continues to be at risk and new inequities have started to take form. To many education experts, this is a crisis within a crisis. At IAEP UNESCO, we've been working with ministries of education on planning and management for six decades. And over the past two, we've helped countries build their capacities and skills to better prepare, prevent and respond to crises affecting the education sector. The pandemic is putting these techniques to the test and ministries of education worldwide are feeling the pressure to lead crisis response efforts. But what does leadership really mean in the context of a crisis? And what facilitates or hinders ministries of education from exercising a vital leadership role in these situations? Anna, You've been supporting ministries of education in the context of conflict, natural disasters and displacement for many years. Why do you think that the concept of leadership needs unpacking? And why in particular is this so important for education planners and managers? What's at stake here? So the concept of leadership is actually quite blurry. Even though, you know, in our professional lives and as citizens, we constantly demand state leadership to ensure the provision of basic social services. That can be health services, education, public transport, and so on. In education, it is obviously the Ministry of Education that is responsible for education provision. And this doesn't change when crisis hits. During crisis, ministries of education remain the primary duty bearer. Yes, and I think in crisis, uh, the ministry is also responsible for the coordination of relief efforts which would include uh, coordinating the support that is provided by international partners. Right. And the good news is that in the past decade or so, we've seen a shift towards strengthening state authorities to manage crises. This shift happens on both sides, on the government side, but also on the international community side. So what we are witnessing in our work at IEP is that governments show increased interest in being prepared to manage crises and ideally, you know, prevent them from happening rather than constantly being in this sort of firefighting mode, um, you know, that many governments, many ministries of education have experienced now during COVID-19. On the other side, international agencies are increasingly following their commitments to align support with national agendas and to strengthen national structures. So despite all these positive developments, in our daily work, we still notice a lack of technical capacity, coordination and collaboration structures and platforms, and perhaps sometimes also a lack of shared values to manage crises collectively. 
So what we wanted to do is we wanted to study what ministries of education really need to have in place to cope with crises and how can external partners, including international partners, support ministries of education in taking the lead. In parallel, uh, we also took the opportunity to reach out to a thought leader in this field, the University of Bristol's Centre for International and Comparative Research in Education, which is known as SIA, to help us develop a conceptual framework to demystify the concept of leadership and to make sense of our observations. I'm very happy to welcome two lead researchers from SIA, Professor Leon Tickley and Dr. Raphael Mitchell. Between them, Leon and Raphael have extensive experience, both as researchers and educators, working on a range of topics relating to sustainable development and education policy and planning. Leon is also the UNESCO Chair in Inclusive Good Quality Education and Global Chair in Education at the University of Bristol. Leon, let me turn to you first. If we would like to better understand how to enable Ministry of Education leadership during crisis, what would you recommend we consider as a starting point? An important starting point is actually to consider the nature of crisis itself, because I think what many education systems today are facing are multiple crises, and they all interact with each other in very complex ways. Of course, we're very aware at the moment of the, the COVID-19 pandemic, and we know that some education systems, sadly, are dealing with, uh, with crises caused by conflict and natural disasters. But of course, underlying that is the ongoing learning crisis that affects many low and middle income countries where large numbers of learners uh, are, are not meeting basic threshold standards in literacy and numeracy. And of course, the thing about all of these crises is that they all reinforce each other. And of course, you know, some groups suffer more from crises than others, and we need to be really aware of that. So understanding how crises reinforce complex inequalities is very important. I think crises within complex systems also require us to rethink traditional conceptions of leadership in education. I think what we need to do is to move away from top-down models. We need to understand uh, or to develop more context-sensitive approaches that we've described as endogenous systems leadership. And I'll hand over to Raphael now, who can perhaps say a little bit more about that. Yeah, so endogenous systems leadership. Endogenous in that it derives from a particular national context and respects local values and agency. When we think about what enables the leadership of ministries, we need to think about the kinds of countries that UNESCO IIEP is often supporting. And these are, are countries which are furthest from achieving their, their global targets, low and middle income countries, and those that have experienced conflict over a, a number of years. So these tend to be formerly colonized countries, which are still experiencing these enduring legacies of colonialism and uh, inequitable power relations in their dealings with agencies in the global north. So in these contexts, then, one of the barriers to ministries' leadership can be the activities of international organisations themselves, which are often well-intentioned, but which can override local decision-making. So we see this in evidence 
from IIEP's own research in countries from Burkina Faso to Kenya and, and elsewhere. So part of enabling Ministry of Education leadership is about recognising local values, knowledge, practices and, and institutions as well. In many contexts, we've got to acknowledge that the status quo doesn't achieve that, even outside crises. So it does require quite a radical transformation of the status quo. Can you give us an idea of what such a radical transformation needs to include? Yeah, so this has to involve democratizing the governance of education and ensuring that decisions around education are informed by the perspectives, experiences and outcomes of different groups. So many ministries of education are currently in the process of decentralizing governance to bring in these different voices and capacities uh, and resources at different levels. And this is particularly um, important at times of crises because leadership for inclusive, equitable quality education during crises, it requires drawing on the perspectives and capacities which are widely distributed across different tiers of the education system. So that is at the ministry level, yes, but also importantly at the regional or the district level, as well as the local level, people in schools themselves. So this does require an understanding that leadership is, is a collective social process rather than just a position. When you say that leadership should be considered as practice rather than a position, what do you mean? I mean, at its heart, when we talk about leadership, we're talking about influence. So influence occurs within the formal bureaucratic structure of uh, an education system. But importantly, we've got to recognize it occurs outside that. And it doesn't just occur in a top-down way. So we need to take a more extended view of leadership within education and just acknowledge the influence of teachers themselves and others in school. But in addition to that, parents and other people within the community, as well as in many contexts, religious groups and civil society organizations. So you're speaking about something quite different from a typical top-down or more authoritarian approach to leadership that we might be more used to thinking of in a crisis situation where you'd want everybody to kind of follow the rules. So maybe, Leon, can you say a little bit more about systems leadership for education in crisis and perhaps uh, provide us with an example of what this might look like in practice? Yeah, no, sure. So I think, you know, systems leadership as an idea is something that is increasingly accepted as a useful idea not just in education, but in other systems like health systems and responding to, to the COVID crisis and so on. And I think at its heart is the idea that, you know, if you're going to deal with, with crises, then you really need to mobilize and harness uh, leadership from right across the system. And that's particularly important when it comes to, to crisis, which may involve changes to different parts of the system Uh, but doing it in a coordinated way. But I think another aspect of systems leadership is the importance of information, of having really good data about how crises are affecting different groups of learners at different points in the system. And I think, you know, the EMIS system, the education management information systems that many ministries of education rely on, there's a lot of work going on in some Uh, ministries to try and provide more up-to-date information about how changes to education systems are affecting different groups of learners. And this kind of, of information is absolutely crucial. So 
One example of this kind of systems thinking in, in operation during a crisis situation is the Rwanda Learning Partnership. This is a, a study which looked at school level leadership practices during the, the COVID-19 pandemic with a special emphasis on uh, support for the most vulnerable and marginalized learners. Now, what this work shows is that school level innovation is necessary and feasible in crises. And in fact, it's obvious that it's necessary because solutions can't be centrally mandated because they're not yet known. So ministries need to foster an enabling environment for local innovation, uh, improvisation. Um, so as Leon says, this is about establishing two-way communication from the local level to the ministry so they can learn from that and scale up uh, what is working. But th this very much runs counter to the kinds of top-down bureaucratic systems that we've inherited from the Age of Empire. In our work on crisis response with stakeholders at multiple levels of the education system, it's almost inevitable that the issue of financing or resourcing comes up. And I believe this is a key issue that you are also attempting to look at and address in your work. So what would you say are the biggest challenges when it comes to funding? Maybe I can ask you, Raphael. Thanks, Stephanie. So I think what we see is, is this a disconnect between global policy statements on financing and reality on the ground. A disconnect really between uh, humanitarian uh, funding systems and development focused ones and uh, different timescales. And really what we need is greater coherence between these, these different elements, which allows just a longer term, more strategic decision making in, in education, in crises and outside it. I think it's it's also very much about developing that coherence on the one hand between national priorities and the priorities of donor agencies, but also between different donor agencies. I mean, often different donor agencies might have very different priorities. And I think developing a, a joined up a sectoral approach towards uh, budgeting and financing in crisis is critical. In your experience, why do you think that this is so difficult to achieve a coherent approach? Well, I think part of it goes back to the whole question of endogenous leadership, of, of actually, you know, uh, making sure that it's local leaders who are at the forefront of identifying problems and solutions. Um, sometimes I think it can be the other way around that, you know, donors come in with their own agendas and priorities and uh, ministries are expected to respond to those. So, you know, the more coordination and the more emphasis that can be given to strengthening endogenous leadership, I think, is important here. I think this resonates really well with, um, you know, what we experience in, in our practice. And often we, we observe that ministries are extremely busy and, and much capacity is, you know, taken up with coordinating the different interests of partners, uh, but also making sure that the response, um, you know, is that there's a certain level of accountability to the partner. And so it's it's about uh, changing the emphasis, isn't it, and the, the locus for, uh, for decision making, making sure that, as you say, ministries themselves have greater capacity to lead in these decision making and coordination processes rather than being reactive to external agendas. 
That certainly relates a lot to some of the work that we've been doing in looking at refugees, for example. I know that in Jordan, there are big efforts to kind of mainstream um, refugee education into the national system. And what was really surprising uh, to us uh, in, a, in a good way is examples of, of leadership happening at the school level where school principals uh, were able to sort of speak to the, the local level government as well as donors and ask for more even distribution of resources between host communities and refugee schools. But that also requires the Ministry of Education to listen, obviously, and in Jordan, I know this is the case, to listen, you know, to the middle tier um, and the supervisors playing a very important role when it comes to, you know, responding to refugee needs in schools, but also listening to schools. So I was wondering, you know, Leon and, and Raphael, do you know of other examples where ministries succeed in providing this platform for citizens, providing a platform for their own education staff to really make sure that their interests and their rights are protected and that their voices are being heard? In Ethiopia, we see uh, structures in place at the school level, including parent, teacher and student associations, which have a uh, decision-making powers at the school level, as well as forums where parents will come in and raise concerns. So where this is in place and what, what research shows is that this can address issues and have these addressed by uh, people at, at leadership level in, in, in schools. And uh, you, you also see in relation to disaster management committees that, that are set up at a local level, often involving different stakeholders and different agencies that uh, need to be involved health and education, as well as perhaps, um, you know, other, other humanitarian agencies at a local level. What makes this work particularly exciting for me is that when you are talking about encouraging democratizing education governance and all of these things is that you then have schools where students and communities actually learn how to do this. Once you kind of make those adjustments to allow for these types of, of leadership practice to happen at multiple levels, then that actually helps people learn how to become democratic citizens, how to live together in, in their communities. I still think, though, that there's a, a crucial role for the ministry. The ministry needs to create the culture within the education system that will make sure that, you know, there's a, a really clear vision that can bring people together around dealing with crises and also that there are processes of communication across the education system and also between the education system and, and other agencies and, and external partners that is really important. We've discussed now the different elements that were part of that leadership concept. But I was wondering if each of you could share your working definition of leadership. Maybe I'll turn to you first, Leon. Yeah, so, so I think, you know, it's possible to define um, systems leadership then in terms of the ability of a system, an education system in this case, to develop a response to crisis through developing leadership at different levels of the system and coordinating leaders at different levels of the system. My understanding of leadership in education and what distinguishes it from leadership in health or leadership in, in other uh, sectors 
is that education is at its heart is this relationship between teachers, students and, and curriculum and content. And we've inherited bureaucratic structures for the leadership of education provision uh, from the 19th and 20th centuries. But here we are in the 2020s, we've got to recognize that leadership in education is drawing on influences from outside the civil service structures as well. And so our models of leadership need to acknowledge that and accommodate that. We've been talking with Professor Leon Tickley and Dr. Raphael Mitchell from the University of Bristol's Center for International and Comparative Research in Education, SIRE. This is Plan Ed, a podcast from IIP UNESCO. You can find more information on our website, iiep.unesco.org. Join us next time for more insight into the policies and strategies helping to create a more equitable and sustainable future in and through education. Education.